Good evening. Living room. What's up, everybody? Y'all good? Everybody good? Yeah, you awake? You with us? So glad y'all are here. Hey, like Troy said, Trey said, not Troy, Trey. My name is Samer, uh, and I get to work with the living room uh, up at Kennesaw State at Woodstock City Church, which is another one of our church campuses. So I get, to, I get to work with Brad and our team here. So thanks for having me. So glad that you guys are here. Um, yeah, thanks. Um, y'all don't even have to do that. I don't even know why that's happening. Um, anyways, <laughs> thanks, Tan, Brett. <clears throat> So one thing that, that I'm really excited about that's coming up in my life, um, a week from today, next Monday, September 26th, is my one-year wedding anniversary. And so I'm really excited about that. Um, I made it a year, you know, thank God. And, uh, and it's been amazing. Um, and, and the way that me and my wife uh, are celebrating next Monday night, uh, I think I, it, it should give me kind of props for husband of the year for me taking my wife to where we're going for our, the night of our one year anniversary. We're going to the Georgia Dome to see Queen Bee perform. Um, and so I think that's pretty incredible. Yeah, that I would. I, I'm just as excited as my wife is. This is not when it goes, okay, babe, fine, I guess. we No, yeah, beyond okay, what up, everybody? I'm all about some Beyonce. I've never seen her live, so it's like, and man, Beyonce, when I was growing up, it was Destiny's Child, Beyonce, so I've got roots there. Me and Beyonce have a relationship that we've never talked about, you know what I mean? Before Jay-Z, way before Jay-Z, and so um, I'm really excited for us to kind of grow our relationship and be in the same building. Um, but so I'm really excited about that. So that's one way we're spending our one year anniversary is with Queen Bee, and it's going to be amazing. But um, I'm trying to be husband of like the century that we're not just going to the Beyonce concert um, in October. We're actually going to spending a week in Mexico um, at this all-inclusive resort that we went to for our honeymoon, right? Which is pretty incredible. Yeah. Okay. Before you clap for me. Um, <laughs> we were supposed to go on this trip to Mexico uh, three weeks ago. We were supposed to go September 2nd to September 9th. And so Thursday night, it's a Friday to Friday trip, right? It's all booked. Thursday night before the trip, I mean, we're getting packed up. I'm getting jacked up. I'm so excited. I'm, not, I'm excited about Mexico. I'm even excited about like airplane food. I like airplane food. I like watching movies on an airplane. I love being on an airplane. I, I was just so excited about everything about it. And if you've ever, um, I'd never been to one until my honeymoon, until I was 27 years old, right? But it was my first time going to an all-inclusive resort. And there, if you've ever been on a cruise or something, you kind of have to tip people so they keep giving you good service. I'm all about that. And so I went to go get a bunch of $1 bills. Well, the bank had closed already and I forgot. So what I did was I went to McDonald's and Chick-fil-A and gas stations and bought things for a dollar or less and paid with the 20 and asked for all ones. Um, and so I did that. Chick-fil-A, I went through the drive-thru threw away my ice cream cone, went into the actual store, did it again, so that was really efficient. So anyways, so I get, I mean, I'm getting all set for my trip, you know what I mean? I get back to the apartment, I'm like, look at these $1 bills, girl. I mean, I was like ready for this trip. <clears throat> Julie's all packed up. And then I just kind of have this moment where I'm like, hey, babe, can I, uh, can I see my passport real quick? And she was like, yeah. So I, we take it out of this fireproof box that we have. So extreme, but it's in a fireproof box. And, and I look at it, and I flip to that back to look at that 10-year-old awkward picture of myself. And then I look, and I realize that it had expired 30 days earlier. I don't know if you've ever felt like so helpless you wanted to die, <laughs> but that's what I was in that moment. And I'm looking at it. It says August 2nd, 2016. And I'm thinking, this is impossible. Wake up from this stupid dream you're having, you know, like, hang on, maybe it'll magically change. So I look at my passport, look at my wife, look at my passport, look at my wife, look at my passport, throw up a little bit, swallow it, look back at my wife. And she's like, what's wrong? I was like, 
I love you so much. <laughs> We've been married a year so soon. <laughs> Best year of my life forever to go, you know? And she's like, what's wrong? And I was like, babe, um, <clears throat> my passport's expired. And she like looked at me like, you know, what was the worst part about it? Well, she didn't even get mad. She was just sad and disappointed. And I was like, no, don't give me the puppy face. Just yell at me. I'd rather, I'd rather you get mad and cuss me out. Like, don't be like all sad about it. You know what I mean? And so I get on the phone with TSA and the State Department. Those conversations went well. Hey, listen, uh, passport expired. I need to go on. They were like, you're an idiot. No, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> you know, why are you bothering us? What I learned was I might get out of the country, but one of two things would happen if I got into Mexico. Either I'd get immediately sent back or they wouldn't let me leave the country. You know what I mean? So I was not messing with the Mexican authorities. I wasn't going to go there. So we had to cancel the trip, which was awful. But adult lesson that I learned, I bought trip insurance through Expedia. So I got the entire thing refunded, no questions asked, which was amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, that's amazing. That's why we rebooked it again. If we had lost some money, it would have been like, sorry, babe, we can try a five-year anniversary trip, <laughs> you know? Um, it's funny. I thought, I thought, sidebar, I thought like I needed a good reason. I was going to lie. I was going to tell him my freaking house burned down and I lost my passport. I was going to tell him whatever it took. To, I was like, I was going to lie. They didn't, they didn't need any reason. I just said, I need to cancel my trip. And they're like, okay. I was like, well, you don't, my, pa- my passport lost, burned down. They're like, well, it doesn't matter. You know, so anyway, but... <laughs> I don't know if you've, here's why I tell you that. I don't know if you've ever had um, something happen in life or maybe you're known for something or maybe you did something and you're just never going to be able to live it down, you know? Um, I will, me and my wife are good. We're going to Mexico in October and it's going to be great. But I will forever be that guy that forgot to renew his passport, right? I mean, like forever, I will be the guy that, I mean, that's like a movie moment. It's like, bro, make sure there's literally two things you have to do. Buy your ticket and make sure your passport is good. I will forever be the guy that didn't get to go on my one-year trip when we wanted to because my passport was expired. And yeah, it's a funny story, but that's something, let's just be honest, it's something I'm never going to be able to escape, right? And and I'm not necessarily want to try to escape it. It's all good. But maybe you've had something happen in life, or maybe you're known as someone in your family or something you did growing up and that's just kind of there's there's this this thing that you used to do or something that you have done and never really going to be able to escape it you're known as somebody that's one of the great things about going to college is you kind of get to reinvent yourself until everybody gets to know you and it's like ah you know i'm still the same person you know um that's why you don't date people. You guys don't date like girls in the same friend group because they all, you, you start to get known as somebody, right? Like if you become the guy that's awkward on a first date, you're never going to get a date in college, right? So diversify your risk and go to different friend groups. You know what I mean? Um, so, so I don't know if, if there's something about you or something you did and it's just like, hey, you know what? That's always going to be a part of who I am. There's a funny story. This is what I'm known for in my hometown. I always did this as a child. It's just kind of inescapable. I'm just always going to be known as that guy or that girl. And tonight we're kicking off this series called Alcatraz, where we're going to be digging into the things in our lives that seem or feel inescapable. And what I mean by that, I don't mean the funny things. I don't mean the, hey, idiot, get your passport renewed moment. I don't mean the awkward first date and you can't even look at that person anymore. You know what I mean? I don't mean the things that are kind of funny. No, no, no. We're going to dig in and we're going to get below the surface and we're going to talk about things that in your life that seem inescapable, things that you've tried to suppress and they keep popping back up, things that no matter how far you run from, no matter how far you try to kick to the curb, no matter how hard you try to forget, for whatever reason, you just can't escape. 
Um, Alcatraz, as many of you know, is the most infamous prison in United States history. I mean, it's like popular culture. Like, there's been movies made about it that are pretty entertaining. But Alcatraz uh, used to be used by the U.S. military. Uh, they used it as like a military garrison, and then they even used it to house prisoners of war back in the 1860s uh, for the Civil War, which is kind of interesting. But then, um, after 80 years of use uh, by, the US by the U.S. military, the United States Department of Justice took over Alcatraz Island, and they revamped it, and they turned it into this prison. And it's about 1.25 miles off the coast um, in the San Francisco Bay. And the reason why the U.S. military wanted to take over Alcatraz Island is because they wanted a prison where they could take the worst of the worst. They wanted a prison where they could take the, the, the worst criminals. They wanted to take the criminals who had been given uh, their federal prison on the mainland a really hard time, and they wanted to put them in a place that was so isolated and so inescapable they didn't have to worry about them. In fact, I read one article that said Alcatraz um, was the last resort prison to hold the worst of the worst who had no hope of rehabilitation. I mean, it was like a last resort kind of thing. Hey, this joker has no chance of getting better. He's tricked happy, so we're going to put him on Alcatraz, you know? And, 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 and it, the, the actual prison itself <clears throat> was really, really high security, very highly technologically advanced for its day. And so even escaping the walls of Alcatraz was almost impossible. It was deemed a prison. It was deemed inescapable. Because even if you got outside the walls, even if you got past all the towers where people had snipers on you, even if you got past all of that, you still had a mile and a half of freezing cold water of the San Francisco Bay that was a really strong current. And you had to get through through that and get to shore. The, the San Francisco Bay water is anywhere between 50 to 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, for those of you who are like, oh, 55 degrees, man, that's like jeans and a t-shirt weather, not when it's water, okay? <laughs> so what I found out, anything under 60 degree water is life-threatening. I've swam in 72 degree water, 75 degree water, and I thought I wanted to die. I can't imagine. 30 degree water to 50 degree water feels the same. When you get in that kind of water, it doesn't matter if you're Michael Phelps, right? Your body starts to shut down. You start losing feeling in your limbs and you literally stop the ability. You don't have the ability to move. You stop breathe and you go into shock and you drown. So the moral of today's message is don't get in water that's freezing, right? Here's my point. <laughs> Thank you so much for that, man. It's amazing. I feel so good about myself right now. My point is that prison was inescapable. Even if you got past the walls, there's no way you're getting past the water. And good thing it was inescapable because it housed some of the most infamous gangsters of the, of the time. And I do mean gangster, right? They weren't gangstas. That was 50 Cent. This was the gangsters of, of early America, the 1920s and 1930s. Um, a guy named Whitey Bulger, a gangster. It's uh, Black Mass, a movie named called Black Mass with Johnny Depp. Um, that's a movie uh, loosely based on the life of Whitey Bulger. He was this gangster at the FBI in his pocket. He killed a lot of people. He was put on Alcatraz Island. Probably the most infamous criminal to ever go to Alcatraz was Al Capone. Um, he was the real Scarface, right? Y'all seen Al Pacino Scarface? Say hello to my little friend, right? Um, that was based on Al Capone's life. Like there actually was a guy named Scarface. I don't think it went down like that. You know what I mean? Uh, but that was Al Capone and he was at Alcatraz. For us. So it housed the worst of the worst, the ones with no hope of rehabilitation. And it was deemed inescapable. 
In the 39 years of its operation, there was somewhere like 36 people tried to escape, 14 different escape attempts. I think six of them died, 23 were captured alive, four or five of them drowned, and then five of them are still missing. Probably dead in the water, potentially. I don't know. Who knows? It was deemed inescapable. And so I asked the question again, and the reason why we've called this series Alcatraz is, what is it in your life that seems inescapable? What is it in your life that makes you feel like you're on your own personal Alcatraz Island? What is it in your life that you just can't get away from? What is it in your life that kind of seems to have a grip on you and it keeps rearing its ugly head no matter how much time passes or no matter how much you try to get away from it? What is it that seems and something you've deemed inescapable to the point you don't even want to try to get away from it anymore? For some of you, it's a past. For some of you, there's something that happened in your past. There's something that you did. There's something you were a part of. There's a decision that you made. There's things that you said. And you can't get over what you did or the life that you used to live. And for some of you, maybe there's consequences in your present because of something that happened in your past. And those consequences are daily reminders of things that you regret. For some of you, you have so much regret from your past that it is literally painful. You can tangibly feel the regret, and no matter how hard you try, no matter how many people you talk to, no matter how often you come to church, you just can't seem to escape what was once your past. For some of you, it's a a sin or a habit. That, that it doesn't matter how hard you try, you go cold turkey, you try to stop. Every time you promise yourself it's the last time, But for whatever reason, you just can't escape it. You can't stop going over there. You can't stop trying that. You can't stop calling him. You can't stop calling her. And every single time, one more time. Okay, last time. Okay, last time. And then that guilt that you feel after the last time quickly wears off and you're back into it. For some of you, it's a sin and you've tried so hard to kind of get past it, but you've just deemed it inescapable and you're just kind of tired of trying. For some of you, it's a secret or secrets that you've kind of been holding on to and you don't want anybody to know them. You don't want anybody to know what you did or what you know. You think that if they know this secret, that it's the end of you, that it's the end of the friendship, it's the end of the relationship, that nothing but judgment is coming your way. And you're holding on to a secret that is causing you to feel like you're the only one. You're holding on to a secret that is causing you to think, to feel like you can't be known, which means you're living life isolated on your own. Alcatraz Island, and you just can't escape and get away from that secret. Maybe for some of you, it's the approval of others, that you live your entire life caring to a very high degree what anybody and everybody else thinks, a family member, a parent, a brother, a sister, a teammate, a roommate, a friend, a fraternity brother, a sorority sister, a teacher, a coach. And, and you don't want to live your life and make decisions based on what other people think, but you can't help but care. You can't escape wanting to be approved by other people. There are things in our lives that we have deemed inescapable to the point to where we don't even want to try anymore. And so that's why we're doing this series. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have conversations around all of those ideas, and we're going to dig in. We're going to get below the surface. We want to touch parts of your heart and parts of your lives that you've never wanted anybody to touch. 
We're going to have conversations that are challenging, but are full of love. And we're going to kind of unpack some of the things in our lives that we've deemed inescapable. And here's why we're going to do that. Because the reality is you living a life where you feel like something in your life is holding you back isn't the life that God intended for you to live. That that isn't the life that Jesus died to give you and to give me. In fact, in John 10, 10, what did Jesus say? I have come to give you life and to give it to the full. Yes, that means eternal life, but that also meant a fulfilling life on this side of heaven. And I don't know about you, but feeling isolated is not life to the full. Having secrets that you keep inside and living on edge every day, fearing if somebody would find out, that is not life to the full. Being mastered by a sin that gives, you min, that gives you momentary enjoyment is not life to the full. Being trapped by what people think about you is not life to the full. Having a past that you're not proud of that you can never let go is not life to the full. Having fear of being fully and completely known by others is not life to the full. I don't know about you, but that long list of things seems like hell on earth. Your own personal Alcatraz Island. But the reality is, that isn't the life that Jesus won for us. And so we're going to dig into the life that Jesus won for us. What does it look like to escape the things that seem in? Escapable. And to kind of start our conversation, um, we're going to be looking at something the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Galatians. I'm going to be in chapter five, but before we get there, I want to give you a little bit of context. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Galatia hence the name Galatians. They were really creative with titles back then. And so he's writing this book, this letter um, to the church in Galatia, and he is um, fighting this one idea, and it's legalism, that Paul's whole idea in the book of Galatians is he wants to fight in a very broad 30-foot thousand view this idea of legalism. And here's what legalism is. Legalism is depending on moral law to get your way to God. Legalism is depending on moral law to get your way to God versus depending on the work of Jesus to have a way to God. So, so legalism is I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to be a rule follower. I'm going to be as good as I can be. I'm going to get everything right in order to have right standing with God rather than depending on the work of Jesus to have a relationship with God. And so through the whole book of Galatians, Paul is, is kind of looking at law versus grace law versus grace, that, hey, there's, there's this Old Testament law, 613 commandments, and even more um, uh, verbal commandments and things that were passed down by oral tradition that they were supposed to keep. And in the Old Testament, the way that you had right standing with God was by keeping the law, that you had to keep the law and you had to live up to this standard, the law. And if you didn't, you had to make sacrifices. That's why they sacrificed things in the Old Testament. But Jesus, that's also why Jesus came. Because Jesus came, and you know why he had to live a perfect life? Have you ever wondered that? Well, why did Jesus have to live a perfect life? Yeah, he was the son of God, but he had to live a perfect life so he could fulfill the law that we could never live up to. So Jesus came, lived a perfect life, fulfilled all of those laws, and was that perfect standard and more. And then he died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins as the ultimate sacrifice, which is why we don't have to sacrifice anything anymore, so that whoever puts their faith in Jesus, we have access to the Father, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus did. So Paul is unpacking that idea in the book of Galatians, and it's that context that he's writing to these Christians 
in the church of Galatia. And this is what Paul writes in um, Galatians 5, verse 1. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He makes a very obvious logical statement. The reason why Christ set you free was for freedom. That's pretty obvious. But the only reason why Paul would make such an obvious statement is because it wasn't so obviously lived out. It was something very easily forgotten that the Galatian people, that the Galatian Jesus followers, they were not living in the freedom that Christ bought for them. No, in fact, what they were doing was rather than living in the grace that Jesus won for them, they were drifting back to the law. They were drifting back to trying to earn their way to God and trying to be good enough and tirelessly trying to live up to a perfect standard they were never meant to live up to. And so Jesus, or Paul is writing, hey, the reason why Jesus came was so that you could live a free life, not so that you would drift towards working and tirelessly trying to be good enough. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, so stand firm. Stop drifting towards the law. Stop drifting towards trying to be good enough. No, stand firm because Christ set you free to be free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Such powerful imagery there. Do not let yourself be burdened. Do not carry a heavy load and be yoked. What does it say? Sorry. (laughs) My bad. (laughs) Be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That, that the idea of drifting back towards the law was so, so opposite of freedom that it was a burden and it was slavery. That a yoke, you know what a yoke is? If you've ever been to a country where, or even here in the U.S. where they plow, and usually it's machines, but back in the day they would plow a field where they would farm with two oxen who were yoked together with this wooden contraption, and then they would together plow the field. So Paul is using that imagery. Hey, don't be yoked to this law. Don't be burdened. Don't be restricted. Don't yoke yourself to this thing that you're never, this being yoked to anything, being restricted, that is not life to the full. No, no, no. you're trapped. That's Alcatraz. So the apostle Paul says, live in the freedom that Christ bought for you. And here's the implication. That for the Jesus follower, freedom is a reality. That for the Jesus follower, freedom was what this life was meant to be, not Alcatraz, not looking at life and seeing the things that were inescapable. This verse is where this series came from. This verse is what gives us hope that Jesus came to set you free so that you could live free. But for the Galatians, they often forgot the law was keeping them from the grace of God and how easily we can forget too. Back in World War II, there was this uh, particular uh, prisoner camp that housed a bunch of American prisoners and different prisoners who were um, fighting against the Germans. And when the the Germans lost in World War II, um, the the German soldiers that were running that camp, they were like, okay, we just lost. We got to go or we are going to be prisoners of war, right? And so they dip out. But what they did was they left their post and they unlocked kind of all the jail cells and they unlocked everything, but they did not tell any of the prisoners that the war was over. Because the war was over and the Germans were free, all of those prisoners of war were technically free to go. 
The German soldiers before left did not tell them. They just left everything unlocked and they left. After months and months of months of being beaten down and tortured and being locked up in a jail cell, they were told, those prisoners of war were totally defeated and it did not even cross their mind to think that maybe this jail cell was unlocked to them. The only life they knew for the past months or years was I'm not free. Well, finally, some liberating soldiers came to this prison camp and they're going from cell to cell and they're seeing people who are in their prison cell, but the door's unlocked. So they'll come up to a prison cell and the door's unlocked, the door's unlocked, the, the, the jail cell's unlocked. And finally, they got to so many cells where the door was unlocked and the prisoner was just in there as if he was still locked up that the story goes, one of the liberating prisoners stopped, one of the liberating soldiers stopped going from cell to cell and just started yelling, hey, it's over. The war is over. You can come out. You are free. They were free, but they weren't living in it. And I can only imagine that that's what the Apostle Paul wanted the Galatians to him. What he would want us to know is, hey, you're living as if something is inescapable. You're defeated and beaten down as if something is inescapable. There is something in your life that is keeping you from experiencing the grace of God. But it's like Paul is saying, hey, but that isn't the life that Jesus wants for you. That isn't the life that God wants for you. No, no. Jesus came and died and did what he did so that we would be free. In fact, the fullness of life that Jesus promised is found in the freedom of Christ. This is where this series starts for us. This, is, this, is, this whole series hinges on this idea that the fullness of Christ that Jesus wants to give us is found in the freedom that Christ won for us on the cross, that there is life on the other side of the sin that you can't beat, that there is life on the other side of secrets that you think nobody can know, that there is life on the other side of seeking the approval of people. There is life on the other side of feeling trapped by some kind of sin or habit or secret. And life on the other side of those things is the fullness that Christ wanted for you. And it is found when we step into and believe in and remember the freedom that Christ won for us. So for the Galatians, the law was keeping them from experiencing the grace of God. The reason why we want this freedom is because that's where grace is found. So what is it for you? What is it? What is it? Again, we're, just, we're introducing this idea tonight. But what is it that is holding you back, that is keeping you from experiencing the grace of God? What is it? What is it for you? Ask yourself that question today and tonight. Because here's the, the, the textbook definition of freedom in Christ is this, that freedom in Christ is being free. This is huge. This is huge. The freedom of Christ is being free of anything or anyone that holds you back from experiencing the grace of God. You want a tangible, what is the freedom of Christ? What does that even mean? Freedom of Christ is being free. What, don't we all want to live that way? Don't we all want to live where there was an unhindered access to the grace of God, unhindered being free of anything, any sin, any habit, any secret, or anyone, any person that you're trying to get approval from. Freedom in Christ is being free of anything or anyone that holds you back from experiencing the grace of God, that the grace of God is where freedom from the things that seem inescapable starts. So tonight, where do we start? Where do we go? Well, James, the very brother of Jesus, gives us an idea 
in James chapter four, verse six, he says this, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That God opposes the proud. That you know what a proud person says? A proud person says, I can do it on my own. A proud person says, I can do it all by myself. A proud person will never admit fault. A proud person will never confess. A proud person will never admit need. A proud person thinks they can do it all on their own without God or without Jesus. A proud person will never admit that they have a need for a savior named Jesus. But a humble person, a humble person will admit fault. A humble person will confess that they have a need. A humble person will look beyond themselves. A humble person will ask for help. A humble person will confess. A humble person will go to people who know that they love them. A humble person will look beyond themselves to Jesus. And when they do, James tells us there is grace. I want you guys walking out of here tonight knowing that whatever it is you think is inescapable, is not inescapable when we look to Jesus. You have a past that you don't think you'll ever be able to escape. Well, there is a grace that redeems. You're being held captive by a secret that you're afraid for anyone to find out. There is a grace that forgives. You have this sin or this habit that is holding you captive. You need to know that there is a grace that empowers and strengthens. You're being captive, held captive by this legalistic mindset. There is a grace that frees you that you're being held captive by a person's voice, well, there is a grace that approves of who you are. There's a grace that restores, a grace that heals, a grace that saves, a grace that gives and gives and gives. So what is it for you that is holding you back? What is that? What is that that's holding you back from experiencing the grace of God? Because freedom in Christ is busting off the lock of whatever Alcatraz you think you're in and getting a helicopter down on that island and pulling you out of there in a massive victory. I hope you come back for the rest of the series because here's why. The things in your life that you think are inescapable are not. In fact, I would argue that there is nothing inescapable when Jesus is involved. Alcatraz wasn't even in escapable. On June 11th, 1962, just, just years before the prison shut down, there were these three men who executed the most intricate escape plan in Alcatraz history. They, they dug into the wall. The wall was getting corroded by all the salt in the air from the salt water. And so over the years, it was getting corroded. So they dug into the wall slowly, year after year after year, and they had it covered up by this, by this fake wall that they had created with bricks. And, and the report said that the darkness of the jail cell helped cover it up. So they dug into this wall year after year after year after year until they were able to create a tunnel outside. And what they did was they made heads made of paper mache and they put hair on it from the barbershop so that the night that they escaped, they would put it in their bed and make it look like they were still there. And then when they finally got out of the prison and they got into the frigid water, they had stolen over 50 raincoats from the prison and turned that into an inflatable raft. <laughs> Crazy, right? It's like, I feel bad rooting for the bad guys. <clears throat> and they swam to shore. Now, there are people who say that they died. They were never found. 
But there's a number of reports, and there's even um, a couple eyewitnesses who have pictures with the men that escaped, and they've never been found. They're still on the FBI's wanted list. So the prison that was deemed inescapable, now with an intricate plan, they escaped, and they got away. So here's what we want you to know, is that whatever it is that you're facing, it's not inescapable. And you want to talk about an intricate plan for escape? You want to talk about an intricate plan for freedom? That God, the creator of the universe, he had a plan for us to be free from the things that hold us captive. And God unleashed this unbelievable plan to free us. And it started before the creation of the world. And it got put into motion when Jesus was sent as a baby in a manger, and the plan was completed when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave because in his death and resurrection, the chains were broken and the things that held us captive no longer had power over us. So whatever it is that seems inescapable when we look to Jesus, it's not. So what would it look like for all of us throughout the course of the series to come with humility to come before God, to confess that we need help, to confess that we need Jesus, to confess that we need people around us. What if we came in with that kind of humility? I wonder if the things that are blocking us from experiencing the grace of God, if that one step of humility is the first step for some of you experiencing freedom and fullness for the first time in a long time. Because there is a grace that restores. And, and last point, I wanted to make sure I said this. There's a massive difference between us and the fugitive of Alcatraz. The guys that escaped, yeah, they're, they're bad guys. And the guys that escaped and the guys that were locked up, they deserved to be there. Justifiably, they were guilty under the law. But for Jesus followers, because of Jesus, we are not guilty under the law. It's a massive difference between us and them. No, no, we're blameless under grace. We are pardoned under grace. We are made new under grace. We are set free under grace. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you are good, and you are faithful, and you are loving. And it has never been more apparent than in the cross. That this life that you've given us, you don't want us to be held captive. You don't want us to be held back. That there is nothing your grace can't touch. There is nothing your grace can't overcome. And I pray for the student in the room tonight that has something holding them back, something that makes them feel isolated, something that's putting them on their own personal Alcatraz. And I pray tonight is step one towards walking into and living and leaning into the freedom that Christ won for us. May we all have the courage and the boldness to confess a need and to humbly come before you and ask you to help us. Thank you for the freedom in the cross. It's in Jesus' name, amen.